Please stand with me, if you can, in honor of the word of God as I read Psalm 36. To the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. The word of God for the people of God. A prayer for the scripture that was just read. Father, we pray and confess your word over the body of Christ. We pray that your people will be filled with the full, deep, and clear knowledge of your will in all spiritual things. We pray we live and conduct ourselves in a matter of worthy of you, Lord, fully pleasing to you and desiring to please you in all things, bearing fruit in every good work and steadily growing and increasing in and by the knowledge of you with fuller, deeper, and clearer insight. Amen. Good morning. Um, as I said in the prayer earlier, Bobby and Teresa, the Barnett boys, they're all on vacation this week. They actually left Thursday, and um, uh, that's where Bobby, about three weeks ago, asked me to do a sermon. And at first, as always, I hesitate, but I said, sure, sure, I could do that. And that's where it gets me excited of... of uh, searching the scripture and finding which sermon and and what I came across as you know as we have been uh, going through the read scripture program or app that um, we started at the beginning of the year and it happened that Psalms 36 was in today's um, read scripture however we also go in sync with it uh, with the help of my wife, is the Bible Project. 
read scripture. And I would really encourage, if you haven't looked up the Bible Project on YouTube, um, definitely look that up with uh, Tim Mackey and his partner John, and they give some really excellent snapshots of all the books of the Bible. And boy, it, I mean, and then it even expands to where some of um, the, the reasoning of the Bible, like when we were in Proverbs, you know, they talked about wisdom, you know, and it, it was just different aspects of, of what the Word of God. And again, this Tim Mackey, he's a scholar in, in Hebrew uh, literature and Bible reading, and boy, I mean, he could break it down to where I could understand it. And if I could understand it, I know all of you, even the kids upstairs would understand it. So that's where um, I was excited about, about this psalm and coming into, which I call it here, we sin and God will forever love us. There's no turning back on that, on his part, but he will forever love us. In this psalm, in, uh, I looked up in Matthew Henry's commentary, he quotes that, it is uncertain when and upon what occasion David penned this psalm. Probably what he was struck at, either by Saul or by Absalom. For in it, he complains of the malice of his enemies against him, but triumphs in the goodness of God to him. So yeah, so this is when David, before he was king, he was being attacked from Saul. And yet, in this psalm, he starts off with his transgressions against God, against the king of, of Israel. But it also states here in a study Bible of, of the uh, English uh, version, standard version. Th Psalms 36 is a lamnet that reflects on the wicked who oppose the faithful and on the steadfast love, remember that steadfast love of the Lord. It concludes with the prayer that God in his steadfast love will protect his people from the attacks of the wicked. And he breaks down where the wicked is in the first four verses of this psalm. I'm not going to repeat it all, but boy, basically it coincides with when we're reading in Ezekiel right now how much Israel is so turned away from God. They worship idols. They just don't even bother to turn back to God and worship him. And here, the prophet Ezekiel is telling the people, this is what you're doing wrong. This is why you're going to be sent as captives to Babylon. This is why you're being attacked in Jerusalem. So it's, it's these types of things that where wickedness could lead us away and by sin. So out of Tim Keller's 
Songs of Jesus. If y'all don't have this book, I mean, we had them about two years ago here, and I think we gave them all away, but Psalms of Jesus. He explains, Tim Keller does, explains the anatomy of sin. Fearing God is not, it's not mere belief in him. It is to be so filled with joyful awe before the magnificence of God that we tremble at the privilege of knowing, serving, and pleasing him. He also goes on to say, to feel no need for God is to be out of touch with reality. Such people have ceased to be wise. What starts as mere overconfidence can grow into dishonesty and cruelty. Sin is a spiritual cancer. And that is what we face today in the world. Even us as believers, we tend to sin unintentionally. It may be a time of judgment. I do that a lot. It may be a time of of when giving explanation to someone and you misinterpret what is the, the Bible saying, the Word of God is saying. So it's important that we have that relationship. And going back to that word of transgression, going back to where Tim Mackey in the, in the Bible project, he explains that in transgression is, is breaking basically like breaking a contract, breaking a vow, breaking a covenant that you have with God and with us as we have for each other. Because, yeah, we're, we're not perfect. We're striving for that. And we have an excellent teacher who is Jesus Christ our Lord. But there are times that we stumble. I know I stumble. There's a lot of times I'm with my wife and she's, doing something, and I, you know, just have to say, you know, honey, you're being irresistible, you know, and, and, you know, I, and I honestly say that, and sometimes she's, I'm just being irresistible, well, in our language, or our definition of that, when I say it, is that she's being irritable. I don't want to. I don't want to confess that to just let it blossom. So I try to put the positive, honey. You're being irresistible, and of course she's the same with me when I'm loose, going off track. But in this too, we look at Romans chapter three, verse ten. There is none righteous. Paul is telling the Romans. Same thing as here as David is explaining in this first uh, first four uh, verses, first four verses is that there is none righteous. And I would ask you to look up, look up Romans three, read ten through eighteen, because at the last on on Romans three eighteen, it states right there what it says. On um, Psalms 36, verse 4, 
He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. And basically, that's where he's saying he don't keep his eyes on God, as it mentioned earlier. So here we're learning more and more diligence of our our joyful wanting to know the will of God in our lives. And by that, we do it by this. We're here to worship and pray and receive the word so that we can go into the world and help those that are struggling. Also in Romans 6, 23, Paul mentions that for the wages of sin is death. But I like what follows. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. A free gift. I mean, so you have to look. Am I going to wager in death? Or am I going to receive that free gift? of life eternal. So as we go through from Psalms um, 5 through 12, I I really like Tim Keller. I mean, I could have just read this right here and said, there's the sermon, and we could go home and finish eating breakfast or have another cup of coffee. But here in these verses, I like how he states it. it he called, he labeled, titled it, The Spaciousness of His Love. In contrast to the claustrophobic, self-absorbed nature of sin, the love of God is as high as the heavens, majestic as the mountains, and inexhaustible as the ocean. God's love is like a land of endless delights. Those who first eat of its bounty and drink from its rivers want to return to it again and again in prayer and worship. God is loving yet holy. The cross reveals how he can be both. As a mother bird shelters her young by letting the rain and wind fall on her, so Jesus took to our punishment. Verses 8 and 9 provide a glimpse of Eden restored. Light, joy, clarity, truth, all are all through Jesus Christ. And he gives that freely. That's the, that's the exciting part of it. So as I mentioned about remembering steadfast love, in other translations it's saying loving kindness, mercy, goodness, unfailing love, and grace. The second part of that verse is faithfulness. 
That is being consistent, having endurance, and perseverance. So with the righteousness of God, which is in verse 6, it's good to know that he, God, through David, is saying, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. That's all the way up to the heavens. Going all the way up to the heavens. Here we have a man just, I don't know, 120 miles away over here trying to say that I'm going to be the first civilian person to get up to that right near atmosphere and float. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that that's the heaven, that that's a goal to just get to. But heaven is so vast and so high above what we see and and hear or do that it is unending. And that's God's, God's righteousness. I mean, his love, steadfast love to us. And his faithfulness, his faithfulness is right there to the clouds as we are faithful. Sometimes, not all the time. I know I'm not all the time. I'll say something and forget. Is that being faithful? I don't know how many times I've, I've let my wife down in, in chores or asking on things. And I have to think, man, am I being a faithful husband? I forgot to do that. And then I feel bad and condemnation comes on me. But you know what she says? I love you. I love you. And I'm thankful for that, honey. Thank you for loving me. In verse 6, righteousness, it means the goodness, morality, purity of God. His righteousness. For that is described here in the scripture as the high mountains, God's mountains, the high mountains that, are, that are, we see around us. Like Moses went up to the mountain on Sinai and, and going up. And a lot of people will will just imagine that and want to think of that, that, yes, we're going up to meet God, but yet we can meet God right here. Yeah, we're about 2,000 feet higher than Alamogordo or Roswell, but we're, we're still here. And yet, there's something about that structure of a mountain to climb. And speaking of climbing, we have three ladies that they were titled about five years ago the Wild Women of the West. And man, I mean, you know, when I saw that article come up and their adventures, hiking 14ers in Colorado, that's where Bobby's at right now. I don't know if he's hiking a 14er. But these ladies band together to do what a lot of people just want to do, but never do it, take the time. So in the proverb of 
As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another man's countenance. Well, in this case, it's one woman sharpening another woman's countenance. They help each other. They team up. They set up camp. They survive out in the, in the wilderness, in the wild. And that's what they desire to do in their heart. But God is working in their heart so that they could encourage each other. They could explain the need of, of Christ in their life and share the beauty of what all God has created. For 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a powerful statement right there. That's the steadfast love of God to become the righteousness of God. And along in this, in verse 6, we also have the word judgment, which right away when we hear judgment, that's condemnation. Oh, you're going to be sent to prison forever. I wouldn't want to be sent to prison for eternity to be burnt up in the lake of fire. No. But with judgment comes grace and justice. There is that fraction of the definition of judgment. But God does not allow evil to continue unchecked. To think that God is too nice to judge sin would be an understatement of him. You know, going back to seeing how in today's society, how there's a lot of municipal, district, state, Supreme Court judges that they evaluate each case separate. Here, God is straight. Believe in me. Believe in Christ Jesus that I loved you so much that I gave my only son so that you will live. Believe that and you'll have life eternity, eternity. And that's where some people says, no, I don't believe that. And that's sad because then they choose the condemnation, the wrath of God just like what's going on right there in Israel back when Ezekiel was writing his book or describing it. I had one judge here, Judge Line, some of you locals that have been here, Judge Michael Line, coming down Highway 70 with my daughter. I took her Christmas shopping, or while clothes shopping, I should say. And, of course, we're coming through Mescalero on Highway 70. And, you know, right when you press the Mescalero line, all of a sudden it goes to 45 miles per hour. Of course, I'm doing 75, 80 through Mescalero. Because here's something that I know. I don't know if you know that. But state cops, they don't pull you over in Mescalero. 
I think that's a standard for, for them to say, don't pull anybody there, let us do that and get our money, you know? I mean, that's what I figure. I don't know if that's for sure. So there we are zooming. Well, sure enough, I'm going 70 into 45. And I'm like, oh, shoot. I go see Mike Line, and before even going into his court, now, this, again, this was like about 15 years ago, and he said, Rifle, what are you doing in here? I said, I got a speeding ticket. And he goes right there, on 70, huh? And he, I go, yeah, on Highway 70. Well, he called me into his office, and then we started uh, chatting and visiting, and he was asking how Esther, that was my daughter that I went, uh, took shopping, how she was doing, and we all went there, and he says, you know what? Don't. Don't speed again. Don't get another ticket for three months, and this goes away. I mean, because I was already shaking. I said, I, well, not necessarily if they take my license or what, but it was like, oh, my insurance going to go up. How am I going to do that? Or how's this going to affect my work if I lose my license? So that, to me, was showing the grace of that judge. And here, God is showing the grace through Christ Jesus. Let us bless him, our Lord. Verse 7, as we were singing in the song, we take shelter in the wing of the Almighty. And as a mother bird shelters her young by letting the rain and the wind fall on her, so Jesus took our punishment. And again, verse 9 and 8 and 9, as I read out of Timothy Keller, it provides a glimpse of Eden restored. Light, joy, clarity, truth, all through Jesus. Verse 10 is kind of the reframe of what we saw as the steadfast love. It reminds us of God's love and righteousness. Verse 11, in the English Standard Bible, it, it says arrogance, but I translated that to pride, and that's something I struggle with all the time, my pride. Pride lures us into, the living, to, into living independently of God. You die, and you can't give up. And in that part, and again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's sometimes we don't think we're sinning or having pride. Here's another example. When they started charging parking at Grindstone Lake, you had to buy a, a sticker for your car or whatever, and they had set up the Wibbit, and, and uh, the Wibbit is like a, a big balloon out on the lake that the kids could play on and jump off of and stuff there. So me and my wife are driving around. Let's go over there. Well, she said, we don't have a parking permit, or I don't, I don't even think we had cash at the moment or something. I don't know. We just take off, and that's there. So we get up there, and we get to the booth. Of course, the employees know me. And here's where my pride comes in. Because when one employee didn't know me, he says, well, I'm the mayor pro tem. 
You know, that, you know I, I'm here to check out the parking lot and stuff. Oh, okay, go in, go on in. You know, they don't charge me or what. And, and then I go in there, there's no parking. But then there's a spot that says for uh, maintenance vehicle only, no parking, or we'll be towed. Well, what do I do? I'm the mayor pro tem. I just park right there. So sure enough, me and Chippy, we get out, we go walking down, you know, they were doing, I mean, they've really improved that lake in the last three years than what it's been. So we're walking around, and lo and behold, and thank God I was in Shippen's car driving. So, so we're, we're driving, you know, we're right there, and then there's the city, uh, city uh, uh, parks and rec director and the deputy manager, they're parked right there. They're already calling a tow truck. Who's this? And, and oh, wait, I, I've got to back up on that. I put on the previous year parking sticker. I think that's what I did. I said, ah, this will work, you know, but it was, that's just pride, you know. I mean, that's just being ignorant to like, hey, can't you follow the rules, can't you? And, and don't get me wrong, later on, yes, I did get a regular parking, season parking sticker and stuff. And, and, and like I said, I don't park in that spot unless it's to unload our stuff to take down by the shore or things like that. But that's how pride could be subtle. And, and, and I wasn't even knowing, but other than boasting in myself, so that's the part that hit me right quick. But again, here we have in verse 12 that the evildoers lie fallen and they are thrust down, unable to rise. God forgives evildoers if they seek them and if they repent from their sin. Let me back up to verse 11. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. Today I encourage all of you to reach out your hand to take the hand of Jesus. To take the hand of the Holy Spirit and the hand of Jesus. Therefore, your hands are filled and no hand of wickedness could come upon you. And hang on to that. And you know, and I'm talking like that, how the Romans shake hands, you know, they lock arms, you know, they don't do this handshake stuff. They lock arms. And that's all what God wants to do is lock arms with you and hang on to you. But it's sad many times, and myself included, that I just start letting go and it starts slipping. And yet he's trying to hang on and it's, it's, it's both ways. It's like, you know, equal, equal amount of, of pressure to hang on to something. But then this is Rifle saying, I'm the mayor pro tem. You don't give me a ticket. No, no, that's not right. Blessed be God, our Father, 
for his steadfast love lasts forever. In the seat in front of you or those on the way back there, there's uh, some communion cups. And if you want a gluten-free one, there's one over there in the box on the table in the back. But I stumbled across this really cool prayer. Bobby gave me this, the Valley of Vision. And it's a Puritan prayer and devotions. And this is on the Lord's Supper. I'll do my best in reading it. God of all good, we bless thee for the means of grace. Teach us to see in them thy loving purpose and the joy and strength of our soul. Thou hast prepared for us a feast, and though I am unworthy to sit down as guest, we wholly rest on the merits of Jesus and hide ourselves beneath his righteousness. When we hear his tender invitation and see his wondrous grace, we cannot hesitate but must come to thee in love. By thy spirit, in living our faith, rightly to discern and spiritually to apprehend the Savior. While we gaze upon the emblem of our Savior's death, may we ponder why he died and hear him say, I gave my life to purchase yours, presented myself an offering to expect your sin, shed my blood to blot out your guilt, open my side to make you clean, endure your curses to set you free, bore your condemnation to satisfy divine justice. Oh, may we rightly grasp the breadth and the length and this design. Draw near, obey, extend the hand, take the bread, receive the cup, eat and drink, testify before all men that we do for ourselves gladly in faith. Reverence and love receive our Lord to be our life, strength, nourishment, joy, and delight. In the supper, we remember his eternal love, boundless grace, infinite compassion, agony, cross, redemption, and receive assurance of pardon, adoption, life, glory. As the outward elements nourish our body, so may thy indwelling spirit 
invigorate our soul until that day when we hunger and thirst no more and sit with Jesus at his heavenly feast. Thank you, Father God, for giving us the life of of bread, the bread of life, who is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we take this element as a symbol to remember of his body being crucified for our sins and that he was risen and is seated at your right hand. And we do this and consume this in remembrance for his glory, your love. Partake of the bread. And Father God, Jesus shed his blood so that it did not cover our sins, but it washed it away, never to be accounted towards us again. And we thank you once again for your love, your steadfast love towards us. Let us just surrender to you and ask for forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name.